You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 558 for May 26th, 2021. On today's show, pianist and vocalist Lauren Lee. This is a rare occasion of me recording the intro to the show on the actual day the show comes out. Normally, I'm farther ahead than this. Yesterday, I had a little bit of uh, car trouble. Uh, overall, a fairly good day. I got a Vermont driver's license yesterday because uh, if you've been following along at all with my van travels, you know that I've been trying to move my home base from the southwest to the northeast so that I could get access to health care in the northeast because my Medicaid right now only works in Arizona and that's not where I generally am. So I was able to become a Vermont resident and sign up for Medicaid in Vermont, just waiting for the final approval to come through, but it looks pretty good. And if all that goes through, then I will be able to access health care here in the northeast, which is fabulous. So yesterday I went a couple hours south of where I've been staying to go to the DMV and get my license. And on the way back, I made one stop about a mile from uh, my friend's house where I've been parking my van on their farm. And when I got back in the van, it wouldn't start. I mean, it wouldn't do anything. There was no sound of any kind, not like, you know, click, 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 click or anything. It was just dead. So I walked the mile or so to my uh, friend's place and one of them was home. And uh, she drove me back down to the van, and we tried to jumpstart it using her truck, and it, nothing. I mean, nothing at all. So she drove me back, and I called AAA, and a couple hours later, a tow truck came. And the tow truck driver got out, he popped the hood, and uh, he just wiggled the wires that go to the battery. And they moved a lot. And he said, well, that's your problem right there. Hold on, I think I can fix this for you right now. He got a socket set out of his tow truck, tightened down the battery connector, said, try the key again, and it started right up with no problem. And I said, you know, I don't have any cash on me, but do you have like a PayPal or a Venmo or anything that I can, I can just pay you directly for, you know, saving my butt like this? And he said, no, man, it's cool. I'm going to get paid for this job by the company anyway, and sometimes life can just be easy. He was just the nicest guy. I've broken down three times during my life in the van, three times when I was, you know, out out and about traveling. Uh, when I first got the van, it also, something went wrong with it, and I got towed. But the three times when I've actually been, you know, mildly stranded or extremely stranded, I've had three real angels of tow truck drivers who have just looked out for me above and beyond, and uh, I'm, I'm extremely grateful. What I thought yesterday was going to then end up with was, uh, before the tow truck driver showed up, was the vehicle getting towed to find out maybe the alternator had gone or something like that. Uh, but it all turned out to be free, which was, which was wonderful. One of the reasons I was worried about something big happening is, of course, I live very, very... Uh, 
close to the edge in, ter- in terms of my finances. And one of the ways that you can help if you're interested is by becoming a member. I'll tell you more about that later in the show, but just know that for five or 10 bucks a month, you can help support this show, which has now been going for 14 years. And you can help support me, the guy who makes the show and has been making it for 14 years. And you get cool stuff, too, like early access to the episodes. You get bonus episodes every week, uh, extra bonus episodes each month at the $10 level. So please do become a member today at thejazzsession.com slash join. And just before we get into the interview, one other way you can help me that costs you nothing is by sharing the Jazz Session with someone you know. Word of mouth is definitely the best way to pass along anything. And so if you put it on your social media, if you send the show to a friend you think would like it, any of those kinds of things, it's a great help to me. If you're one of those people who actually has conversations with other human beings, feel free to tell them about it using your actual voice. Whatever is most comfortable for you, uh, it really means a lot to the show. So thanks. Lauren Lee's wonderful new solo album is called The Queen of Cups. Welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you so much for having me. I really dig this new album, The Queen of Cups, and it seems to me like it's the definition of exposed. Like there's just everything you do is incredibly audible and present and there's nothing there's nothing to hide behind. There's no time to take breaks. It's you the entire way through, which I love, but which also seems pretty daring. And so I'm I'm interested in the origin story of how you came to make a record like this? So I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be somebody who would make a solo record. Like that is not something that I ever thought I wanted to do. It's not something that I ever thought I had anything to really, I guess, say, you know, the past like five or six years, I've actually done a lot of like solo piano vocal gigs at restaurants and stuff. And I like, I never I didn't hate them, but I never particularly enjoyed it where I was like, man, I really want to like explore what's possible without a trio or a quartet or just any, anybody else really. But when COVID happened, I had been brainstorming a new record because I'm, I'm trying to release things more often to you know, get my name out there a little bit more. So I had been planning on releasing a solo EP of like four tunes and then recording a trio record later in 2020. Like I think our tentative date was late April, 2020. And then of course, the second week of March, that totally didn't happen. 
and I still wanted to work on things. And I started, you know, obviously trying to use my newfound free time to shed as much as possible because up until then I hadn't always had the luxury of lots and lots of practice time. Like I would have, you know, maybe between one and three hours a day, not literally all day to sit there and like really kind of work through things. And I noticed that I was really, really grateful for the opportunity because it totally changed the way that I thought about music in general and the way that I thought about practicing and the way that I thought about how tunes could be both, you know, tunes that I'm writing and uh, standards and other people's original tunes. Um, and when I started doing that, I was like, you know, it might be fun to try to work on something as a solo record. And so I took the tunes that I've been, some of the tunes that I've been working on and started kind of playing around with them and, you know, seeing all of the different ways that I could think of to do them and make them into something, if they're a standard, make them into something that sounds quite different than what I'm used to with that tune. If it was a tune that I wrote, I wanted it to be quite different from how I had conceived it as an ensemble tune. And part of the exposed, I guess, nature or intimate nature or kind of bare nature, however you want to you know, think about, I guess, like the textural components of this record or the that that exposed kind of thing. I mean, I feel like for a long time, I tried to overcompensate when I was doing like these solo gigs. I was like, oh, got to make big sound, got to make lots of sound. It's just me. So, you know, my left hand has to be crazy. My right hand has to be crazy. And I have to be singing something totally different. And I have to, you know, overcompensate. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I don't like how that sounds. I don't like the the busyness. I don't like the notion that we always have to be busy in any regard. Um, and I think in music, I definitely realized that pretty early on when I was creating, I guess, the ideas for this record. So the sort of like simplicity and minimalism and and exposed nature is really kind of a mirror to how I've been feeling about things in general and it's become a reflection in the music Interesting to me, uh, this record is a, a combination of your compositions and the compositions of others, including a couple 
well, including pieces we would consider standards, although not all of them are things we would consider vocal standards. Um, but one that really struck me was your version of If I Should Lose You, because I've heard If I Should Lose You, I don't know, conservatively a billion times. And I don't know if I've ever paid as close attention to the lyrics as I did on this version. And in the way it's presented here and in the context of everything that's around it, uh, in terms of the, the other tracks on the record, it hit me in a way it just never has before. Like, especially as an album that's, you know, kind of recorded during a pandemic and when we're all thinking about the, and not just thinking about, but dealing with the concept of loss. Um, it's, it just, it felt, it felt very modern in a way it's never felt to me before. And I just, I wonder what your own experience, why you chose that song and what your own experience of recording it was. Oh, thank you so much uh, for saying that. I, I've had a lot of people that have listened to the record comment on that particular tune. And I'm happy about that because, I mean, on a, I guess, a more lighthearted level, that is one of my favorite standards to, you know, to call at a session or to hear, you know, other people play. Um, but when I was thinking about, you know, what the meaning behind this record was going to be or what, you know, some of the thoughts were, you know, a lot of it was me being terrified of losing everything, losing loved ones, losing myself. Like, what if I got COVID, you know, like, and also losing everything that I'd worked for professionally. And I was having a lot of these deep thoughts while I was practicing and, in, at least in the beginning of the of the shutdown, like April and May, I was focusing a lot on other compositions that meant a lot to me, that made me think about things. So, and this was one of them. And I was like, you know, I know that you know when a lot of people do this tune, or when I call this tune at a session, it's usually up tempo. But I'm like, these words are so important. And there's so, I think, something that anybody can resonate with. If there's anything that you really care about or any person that you really care about, those lyrics resonate with you. And to me, the song just, it had so much meaning that I felt like I really needed to record it. I really needed to savor it. And I really, I think I really needed people to know that I care about them or I care about humanity at large or I care about the scene or I care about my career like you know whatever kind of meaning you want to take it as if I should lose you the stars would Bye. 
it's in me. And if I should lose you, for me at least, and I'm I'm imposing my own order on the record, but it is it's sort of like the the first movement of a three part suite for me in the beginning of this record because the next tune after that. Um, is a song called Another Reality, which is also kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because it deals with, um, I th- I think it, at least to my ear, it kind of deals with th- the fear that might hold us back from being who we are and this vision of ourselves, like our, our perfect selves or our realized selves that we might have and the way in which we sometimes are separate from that vision or feel like we can't achieve it or f- feel like we don't even realize that's us. And then sometimes it shocks us to realize, oh, that person is also me. Um, so the this idea of what we can lose is kind of followed up on the record by this vision of what there is to be gained in this really beautiful way. So will you tell me something about Another Reality? Yes. So Another Reality is me or my struggle arguing with myself because I definitely, when I see myself idealized in my own head, I'm this very confident and powerful and self-assured type of person. But in reality, (laughs) I'm much more awkward and I kind of regret everything that I ever say. And, um, it's been a journey, I think, as I've gotten older, especially like the past few years in particular, that I've started to see that both of these things are actually true, but that I have, I do have the power to be the confident and outgoing and you know, slightly more extroverted person that I see myself as being in an idealized situation. And I think that you know, that's true for a lot of us. Like when I've been talking to various friends, it's something that seems to be pretty common. And I didn't really realize that before. Um, I thought that I was the only one that felt like that. So it was important to me to kind of have something that's like, hey, you can do the thing. And this, you know, this is inside you all as well. It's not just, you know, it's not just me. And it's not something that's unattainable. One foot in front of the other while I have a leg to stand on. Got ideals like any A quick break from the interview to talk about membership. As I mentioned earlier, your memberships are what keep me going. It's really, really true. I live on less than a thousand dollars a month, and your memberships are a sizable chunk of that. You can become a member by going to thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll find two membership levels there, 5 and $10 a month. At the $5 level, you get early access to the shows. Plus, each week, you get a bonus episode called Track of the Week. Track of the Week features about 90% of the time, probably even higher, actually, 95% of the time, features an artist talking about a track from one of their albums, and then you hear the piece itself. Every once in a while, it's me talking about a track I really like, but most of the time, it's the it's the artists. You get that every week, in addition to the main episode, for 5 bucks a month. For 10 bucks a month, you get all of that, early access, plus the extra weekly bonus episode, plus you get an extra monthly bonus episode, which is kind 
kind of a grab bag. It could be me talking to a jazz fan about an album they really like. It could be extra stuff from the interviews that for time reasons didn't make it into the main show, but is still cool and you still would enjoy hearing. You never know what you're going to find. So for 10 bucks a month, you get the weekly bonus episode plus one extra monthly bonus episode. In any case, you can do all of that at thejazzsession.com slash join. And I thank you. Now back to the episode. Well, first of all, we should probably be best friends, but um, yeah, I completely resonate <laughs> with with all of that. Um, and the to kind of invent this suite that I'm inventing in my own head here, um, the, the then the closing bit of it, um, which I think is, I guess, mostly part of the suite because of its title, is um, a tune by Pat Thini called "Unity Village," and um, I first of all like that idea of both of these things the the person of if i should lose you and the person of another reality are in fact the same the same person um and so i just like that idea of unity that's embodied in the title but i also know that unity village is there because you spent at least some of your time during the pandemic um on a kind of deep dive into learning pat's music i think i'm right in saying that yes so pat Matheny and his compositions in particular I mean, his playing as well, but for me, it's mostly his output as a composer that I'm just like, oh, I need this. Um, like I mentioned earlier, when the pandemic first started, I was doing a lot of deep diving into um, composers that I really loved and trying to learn as much music as possible. And Pat Metheny has always been really comforting to me. Like one time I had to have a root canal and I was terrified and I remember listening to the quartet live record that he has with like Steve Swallow and Gary Burton and Antonio Sanchez. And I would just be on repeat, like on the way to the oral surgeon, be like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm going to listen to Fallen Grace over and over and over again, even though that's not a Pat tune, but that kind <laughs> of started my <laughs> obsession, I guess. And it's, it, that's, that was more than 10 years ago. And since then I've noticed that, I do tend to gravitate toward listening to, you know, some of like Pat's music when I'm stressed out or if I'm sad or if I'm worried about something. And, and, you know, he was one of the first people that when stuff started going down, I was like, I need something comforting. I'm going to put on bright side life and I'm just going to try to close my eyes and forget about what's going on around me you know, everything that's in my control, I'm already doing. So I need to just like zone out. And it became really therapeutic to just, you know, sit and listen or sit and work on the tunes. And um, it was a hard choice for me to figure out which 
Pat tune I wanted to put on this record because I I had a lot to pick from. I've learned quite a few tunes of his that I hadn't known before. And I chose this one. I mean, because the melody on Unity Village makes me really emotional. I think it's really beautiful, especially when it peaks toward the end. I'm like, oh, this is so good. And I, I never really get sick of it. And <laughs> when I was practicing it, I never really got sick of it. But the title and the idea that you're talking about with like the sweets with another reality and if I should lose you like that, you know, I think that that's a really nice way to put it because I did put them in that particular order partially because of the subject matter and also because I, I liked how they sounded together. I thought it created a nice story within the larger story of the record. And I definitely am somebody who I, I like a story in a record. I don't want just tunes. I want something that I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many people actually listen to a record front to back anymore. Um, but I, I try to at least the first couple of times that I listen to something, listen to it front to back, just because I personally want some kind of narrative. The fact that we're both referring to it as a record, I think, gives some indication of the age of people who listen to an album front to back <laughs> <laughs> these days. Sometimes I think of that, like with my own children and uh, who are both teenagers, one's in college and one's in high school. And I just think like, I wonder, I wonder when the last time one of them like put on an, an album completely because I've never I've heard them listen. They both have great taste in music and I've heard them listen to a, a million different songs. But I've I can't ever remember the experience of them starting an album like when we were hanging out together, listening to music and just playing it through from start to finish. So, yeah, the that idea of uh, I'm presenting this thing to you as a holistic work made up of individual songs, but it's a whole thing as well. Um, I hope that doesn't go away. And I'm glad it's very present here. The, oh, thank um, you. You're welcome. The The album, uh, I don't know if it's titled after, but it at least shares a title with a tarot card. And um, as a person who's really into tarot, I mean, that card is very much about, about intuition and about um, being guided by one's intuition. Is there a reason that you chose this title? Yes. So um, my partner and I are both also into tarot. <laughs> and um, I'm a cancer astrologically. My, I'm born in July. And like, she had said things like, Oh, you're the queen of cups, because you're a cancer. And I'm like, am I really the queen of cups, though? Um, because I, I've never really seen myself as being a particularly like, intuitive person or being a particularly emotive person either. But I think that, again, um, I mentioned before, with another reality, that I feel like I've become more in tune with what's going on inside me and going on in my brain and going on or going on in my own personality and whatever. And I think that with that um, age has come a little bit more emotional maturity. And I've started to realize, I'm like, oh, I am actually a really emotional person and I or an emotive person. I do express how I feel about things like pretty read, readily. Um, and also I spent a long time, like in my twenties going against my intuition because I thought it was wrong. But in the past few years, I've realized that that's, I, maybe I shouldn't have been doing that because I've changed a bit and I, now I lean into the intuition and I listen to my body when it's like, Hey, 
we don't like this, or, hey, we think that you should do this because of whatever. And I, I feel like I'm somebody who has always kind of tried to over-intellectualize or capitalize on logic and whatever. And I've realized now that logic and intuition or um, intellectualism and intuition, uh, thoughts and feelings, whatever, these things can all be used together and that I'm actually stronger with that than if I try to just veer completely onto the, oh, I need to only have facts and everything needs to be super logical and I'm not going to go with my intuition. I'm going to go with like what I think is the right answer uh, because that wasn't serving me. And I, I found that this other way of like kind of combining them and leaning more into the intuition serves me much better. And so I've embraced, I guess, my my position as the queen of cups that and I wanted to kind of show the world that that that's how I am and that there's strength in that kind of uh, vulnerability and I think that is an an active counter narrative that needs to be out there because the the narrative well except for the very surface level like rom-com love song way in which we're encouraged to follow our hearts um the idea of following our hearts in a larger life sense like when making decisions that are have nothing to do with relationships for example or um you know following that feeling in your gut or the feeling in your chest or your body i mean we're not not only are we not encouraged to do those things but we are in fact encouraged in terms of the societal measures of success to do the opposite to continue to check boxes and then eventually die. And the, I, th- I think that anything that anyone can do, uh, you know, for example, record a record like this, that however explicitly is some kind of statement against that narrative is incredibly important. Like, I think we need to constantly be pushing back on the idea that there's not a place in regular life, especially, you know, our first world regular lives that, uh, that most people who are on this show live, that there's not a place in there for for intuition and our hearts because our lives are just immeasurably poorer if if we're not if we're not tuned into that and at least in my opinion yeah i mean that's definitely what i found like i i feel like for myself a lot of my i guess hesitation toward following my intuition was for me, it was, it was partly societal pressure and also by trying to be a working musician in New York city. Like it's challenging and you feel like you have to do a million things and you have to be hustling. You have to work, you know, 70 hours a week or whatever. Um, but for me, I don't think it was just that. I think it was immaturity for, for myself as well. Cause I was like, Oh, it's silly for me to do this. Like was my attitude. And I, I look back on that and I'm like, Oh, that wasn't great, you know, but I feel like now I've kind of, I guess, you know, become self-aware enough to realize that that wasn't working for me. And that if I wanted to be able to move forward as a person with some of my marbles intact, that I needed to kind of change things up a bit. Da 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 da
Let's take a moment to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. And if you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, my van travels, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the episode. address um an elephant in the uh in the societal room of people's perception of jazz when people make fun of improvised music they almost always do it by some kind of scat singing and <laughs> like that's how they express isn't isn't this corny and this album is full of i don't even know if people still call it scat singing i kind of feel like maybe i'm coming from an ancient land and i've just arrived here in a time machine but any in any case that's what i grew up calling it this album is full of what i grew up calling scat singing so using using nonsense syllables to and then carrying a melody and improvisation and that kind of thing with that and so it's also full of you singing lyrics but there is a lot of scat singing however um well, first of all, however, there's probably nothing wrong with that, even on the face of it. But also, this album, it's just you. So there's no, like, there's no, like, jaunty ride cymbal patterns happening, and you're, like, Ella Fitzgeralding over it. And obviously, she was a genius and could do that as much as she liked. Um, but I'm just curious about, like, you, was there any kind of relationship you had to establish with this kind of singing? Was... Did you ever feel any stigma around it? Did you ever wonder, hmm, I wonder if I should do it this way or do it the more kind of like a lot of contemporary folks are just doing like voiceless vocals that don't really even have syllables. Um, I'm curious just about kind of how you approached it, how you how you made it part of who you are. So, I, I mean, I always feel the stigma against it. I, I Like every time I open my mouth, I feel the stigma against it because I know that, I mean, I know that a lot of people don't like it or they don't get it or they don't understand why you would do that when you can just sing lyrics or why you would I guess do that when it can just be completely textural and there can be like no articulation but for me like honestly using actual lyrics is weirder to me and I think that part of that is just because of the type of music that I've always really gravitated toward. Like when I first, I guess, switched over, I was a classical singer first. Um, but when I was, uh, I guess, switching when I was in college, I found that a lot of the music that I was really excited about and that I really wanted to sing was not vocal music. 
I was listening to a lot of John Coltrane and Eric Dolphy and Booker Little and people like that. And I was like, I want to sing this kind of stuff. And so I would kind of internalize things that, that I heard them doing. And then the type of, I guess, improvisation style that I have now, I think is reflective of that. Like I do use like, you know, syllables and whatever. And, and Ella definitely has something to do with that too. Cause you know, before I went to music school and I grew up in a cornfield where there was no jazz, all I had was an Ella Fitzgerald CD and I just kind of copied everything. Um, but I know that a lot of people have opinions on, you know, what singers should and shouldn't do or can and can't do. And I hope to kind of change how people perceive that. I don't know that I've been successful in that yet, but I, you know, I want to be like, hey, you can sing melodies without words and, you know, use articulations that feel really natural to you. Because that's the thing. Like I've seen discussions and been part of discussions like on the internet where uh, people will ask, oh, well, what syllables should we use? And then I, you know, hear all of these sweet diddly doo bop kind of syllables written out. And I'm like, is that natural though to the person singing it? Because if it's, if it is, that's great. But if it's not, maybe they shouldn't. And for me, like the syllables that I usually choose to use are like da and ba, like very neutral kind of things because that feels natural to me and that also to me feels more like especially like the duh kind of syllable with a d um i used to play the saxophone and when you tongue a note on a saxophone it's a similar kind of movement like you just duh, like kind of um touch the reed with your tongue and that seems more natural and it became something that was natural in my voice to do so that's where I guess I kind of it's a a number of ways I guess kind of a convoluted answer I'm sorry but I am looking to do a little bit more textural stuff like where I use less uh, consonants just because sometimes I want a little bit more variety I don't want everything to be articulated kind of with the same letters so that's something I'm looking to add more into my vocabulary. And I will take a million articulated consonants over footprints before something like, you know, Wayne Shorter played saxophone and he left footprints, oh. which is always the kind of like, I please just kill me now lyrics that get put over songs like that. I hate stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. like, and a lot of stuff like that when I was like in my, I guess, and I'm not, I'm still, I guess, in my formative years, I still don't know what I'm doing. But like, <laughs> when I was in college, I first started, I was like switching from classical singing to, to jazz singing. I heard a lot of stuff like that. And I was like, this is not my thing. Yeah. I just don't, I don't understand why you would do that when like, with, you know, with a tune like Footprints, it's a beautiful melody. Why would you do that to it? It's not fair. <laughs> Like, if you sing it with good technique, you sing it beautifully, you don't, and I, and the other thing that I'll say about this, I have a lot of opinions about this topic. <laughs> like, you could have an entire episode of just me ranting about, um, <laughs> about vocals and lyric choices and, and whatever. Um, I, 
I think you can tell a story without words. Like when I, we were talking about Pat Metheny, I was like, oh, you know, these tunes that he plays or that he's written, like they make me feel a certain way. He's telling a story without words. And, and that's, that's how I see what I do with my voice. And I don't understand why there has to be a disconnect because I'm doing it with a different instrument or lack of instrument. Like, why, why doesn't that same logic apply? If someone can say, oh, you know, I love Train. He really tells a story with, with his saxophone. Or I really love, you know, Lester Young. He really tells a story with his saxophone. You know, as soon as a singer like me sings a tune without lyrics it's like well well why isn't she singing with the with lyrics like what that doesn't make any sense like i don't understand and it's like i'm still telling the story like it's i don't know it, that's that's something that bothers me <laughs> that grinds my gears yeah it's also um, it's not but, as if there's not an entire uh you know thousands of years of history in the world of music of non-lyrical vocalizing i mean it's it exists all over the place. Not to mention how how many pop songs we sing the choruses of where the chorus's lyrics are ooh or some variation thereof. Like, you can't really tell me that that's a particularly poignant story being told, but it's in the context of the pop song. It works perfectly, right? So, yeah, the, I think people, because people are looking for reasons, I think, to dislike jazz and in particular to dislike both scat singing and jazz vocals, uh, it's just an easy target. about we are i don't know where we actually are in the pandemic if you if you look at the news as we're recording this in uh in mid to late may you know people are acting like it's completely over which of course it's not but at least things are changing and i'm wondering if you're seeing any results of that change in your life as a performer or if you're starting to to book things looking ahead yeah um i actually got to play with my quartet for the first time in more than a year Yes, not yesterday. <laughs> Tuesday and Wednesday, we cool. did a we did a and we did a video um, shoot. So that was that was really great, and that's that's the thing that I was really. I mean, there are a lot of things that I've been missing. Obviously, like I want to tour and travel and and things like that. But um, getting to do that felt really good, and it felt kind of normal. And I was like, okay, now now I feel like things are picking up. I am booking a tour for the fall that's going to be in the Midwest, um, Midwest and a little bit of the South. Uh, it's not completely confirmed yet, so I'm not going to say more than that at the moment. But, you know, in those places, it feels like it's cool to go ahead and try because I know that stuff 
there didn't completely shut down the way that it did here. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to getting out and playing in the, in the city more as well. Cause I mean, until this point, everything has been pretty much just on the internet. I've had a couple things here and there, but it's been mostly online. My guest on this episode is Lauren Lee. Her new album is The Queen of Cups. It is really wonderful, and I highly recommend it to your attention. Lauren, it's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks to my guest this week, Lauren Lee. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.